Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Cast a Deadly Spell. on 1991 Movie Rewind. Cast a Deadly Spell takes place in an alternate universe version of 1940s Los Angeles, where magic runs rampant and monsters roam the city. Private investigator Phil Lovecraft, played by Fred Ward, is one of the few that refuses to use magic, and that is why he is hired to find and return a very special book that's needed for a very special ceremony happening in just two days. Screenplay by Joseph Doherty, directed by Martin Campbell, and debuting on HBO, on September 7th, 1991. Have you seen Cast a Deadly Spell before? No, I have not. Me either. Uh, I don't know if I have heard of it until I was making this list. I don't recall seeing it on the shelves of the, uh, the video store that I worked in. Um, Would this have been released on? It was on like VHS. VH- okay. Yeah, it was on VHS and then later on DVD. Um, I think HBO says this was made for HBO. Yeah. It's actually our second TV movie in as many weeks on this podcast. Um, HBO, you know, was obviously like a, a very premium subscription cable service and it still kind of is right. But, mm-hmm. um, that's less of an issue these days than it was in the past. And so I think to bring people into the service, they had to, you know, release some of their stuff on video so that people who don't want to pay for the monthly service or aren't decided yet, they'll, you know, they'll rent the shows and VHSs and movies and stuff to, you know, it's like marketing material. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, let's put Sopranos out on DVD. People yeah. who don't have HBO rent the earlier seasons. They're like, oh, I need to subscribe to this now. So same type of thing. Um, so yeah, it was definitely on VHS. <sighs> I this think... is, I'm sorry. Though. Oh, no, go ahead. Like, wasn't, I mean, wasn't uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dad considered? HBO, I think, helped an HBO produce movie. it? But, or was wait, it, or, it was or, released no, in the theater. Wasn't MTV part of that one? No, it was an HBO movie. I don't remember anymore. I mean, I th- it probably did go on MTV later on. Yeah, I thought MTV, like... Oh, no, no. The, the thing was that MTV had to, like, force them to change the title because it was going to be real world. Yeah, yeah. That's what the MTV discussion was. Uh, that's I was just um, thinking that that was, like, an HBO film. Yeah, but it I, was in the theater it, it was definitely in the theaters, yes. So, I mean, HBO may have definitely and had a hand in financing. this is just straight to HBO. This one is straight to HBO. This is, like, made for premium cable movie. Um, but I mean, it definitely could have been in theaters. The production value is there. Yeah. Much more than what we saw with Bare Essentials last week. Oh, yeah. Uh, this one has, aside from the long shots, aside from like the, you know, the, the long exteriors where you see the, you know, 
the facades of the buildings or like near the end where you have you know they're in the area with the gazebo and in, in the little space where they're performing the ceremony those shots look really nasty and fake like there's this horrible composition of you know real life plus you know the painted backgrounds or you know miniature sets or whatever it is that they were combining together oh, yeah when it just they, looked weird and awkward when they showed um it was just like a backdrop of a neighborhood you mm-hmm. know where it was a bunch of houses and it just looked like a high school play set yes yeah <laughs> Yeah, that that was the problem with like the long shots in this. Yeah. You know, also like when he first went and got uh, went and saw Amos Hackshaw, the guy who hired him to find the Necronomicon. Um, you know, that exterior had like a very you know red sky background and everything. It just every every exterior shot, like long shot, um, establishing cut looked weird and nasty and fake, but the rest of it looked great. Yeah. Like even, you know, like opening sequence with um, Lovecraft just like going to the scene of a crime. You know, there's like really good lighting and, you know, um, everything else looks good. The set decoration looks good. Even like the puppets and the monsters that they have in there. I mean, they look goofy at times, but they still look good. Yeah. I think I wish that there were probably more monsters in this since we're on that topic already um yeah it's it's like every monster that he came across was the comedy yeah it's meant to be a comedy um but every monster was like meant to be a funny thing or yes whatever scene that they're in yeah all, all the humor that is through the monsters. Is through the monsters. I think a lot of it's supposed to also be through the dialogue, like the witty, because you know it's a nineteen forties right. mystery movie, and so it has that type of delivery. You know the uh, the fast talking, quick witted, snappy comeback type of stuff, but it's just not funny at all. And no. There's like a couple jokes. I mean, the here only time. I mean, I didn't really laugh too much but i mean the only times that i did laugh was when he was interacting with the monsters mm-hmm. well mainly like the gremlins i don't yeah i mean yeah so there's <laughs> gremlins <laughs> which i think is i think they're specifically meant to be spoofing the gremlins could like they the look like the actual gremlins they but do, like sort of, with yeah. buck teeth and yeah like red butts i don't know (laughs) and they're gray colored that that's everything else looks like they're actual gremlins right yes i mean they (laughs) there's gremlins that kind of terrorize this one like uh landlord person who he's trying to get information from and like they're inside like the trunk of the car and they pop out and yeah they're showing their asses and stuff like that and yeah those that's really funny stuff um, just like the goofy design of them too, like the gargoyle has like googly eyes. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, he gets kicked in the nuts, which evidently that means gargoyles have nards. <laughs> like, right. But like you know, that kind of and like he's dancing at one point. Like yeah, he's like up on near the rooftop. like near the end, he's dancing, and I was like, what the hell <laughs> is so going weird. on? Like, 
I didn't. I didn't get that part really. Yeah, no, it, it was, like he was there, he was just, just like watching. That it was happening. I think that there was a fight about to happen. He's like, oh, I'm excited. No, I, I think he's celebrating. Yeah, like that. This book is gonna be open or whatever. Oh, like, then okay. Well, okay. But I mean, yeah, he could have like. See, I know this is like I don't know if this is. <laughs> I've never read any of H.P. Lovecraft's like any of his books. No. But I know this is, I don't want to say it's based off of it. It's certainly inspired. I, I have no idea. Yeah, like I don't know tales. what the actual stories are like, how how true this is or how much yeah, it takes Yeah, I don't know that. if the, the monsters in his books were meant to be comedic monsters. I don't know. Oh, probably not. I think that's... <laughs> Yeah. So they, <laughs> HBO decided to do that. Yeah, I think they're probably going for something of a family appeal scenario. Um, Does this yeah, I mean, have it's a rating? I don't remember. I think it is PG, PG-13. Okay. I don't know if you want to check on that or not. Um, obviously, when it's released on HBO, it doesn't need it. But when they send it off to home video, it gives them a better opportunity to be seen and rented. If they can uh, get it rated and avoid an R. Um, I mean, it's rated R. And IMDb says rated R. Oh, really? Which is odd. The only reason I can really see it is, like, I don't remember them because using any bad monsters? language. There's no nudity. I think it's there is some blood and gore. Like violence, yeah. But not much. Only a couple small scenes. Like when that oatmeal monster thing yeah. happened in, in the restaurant. <laughs> That was another, like, funny, like, I don't know, just funny reveal. Like, a, a big build-up of, like, this pot is, like, boiling over. Right. And, like, something is being generated, and then all of a sudden, like, there's, like, this skeleton bird popping out of what looks like oatmeal. And then, like, starts attacking them, and, yeah. Um, that, the yeah, the diner owner gets killed, and he stands up after getting killed and he has like a really bloody face and stuff so i mean there is some parts in there there yeah i mean i don't i mean some of the characters are kind of funny i, I mean if you get the guy larry or slash lily mm -hmm. i mean some of the stuff that he gets into it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's, it's meant it, to be comedic. I was going to say, did you think that lent to being an R-rated movie? Oh, because he dressed up as a woman? Because there's like a cross-dresser in this? I mean, the, and this movie also gave me like hardcore Twin Peaks vibes. And I was, because even with like the colors and tones, like everything's like very red. And then even this character, Larry Lily the same as Dave, Dave yeah, Duchovny's char character in Twin Peaks. Yeah, I can see that. And also, like, even when it's I not mean, colored red, like, Twin Peaks was the, on the whites are very TV. vibrant and stuff like that. Yeah, Twin Peaks was on TV, and I feel like I know it, was it on wasn't late that at night. far removed in terms of subject matter and, like, you know, gore even, you know what I mean? Like, it, this is not that much different in terms of content, so I don't know if this really deserves an R for that reason either. Um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. For me, I just kept on thinking of, like, the L.A. Noir video game 
because it's you know 1940s yeah, it's LA 40s. And, yeah you know they have that little area where they're building like a subdivision that's abandoned and that's key to the plot sort of like how it is in la noir too mm-hmm. the video game and then obviously you know just the lovecraft stuff it's like oh man we should play elder tour yeah game i was getting yeah i was thinking a lot of the board game of eldritch or yeah, arkham horror Ar- or eldritch. Arkham- either or but i good yeah and I was just thinking about how I kind of wish this movie was more like how the board games are. You know how they have to... You're going across the world. Like, you have to mm-hmm. go to Brazil and open up, like, a realm or something. I mm-hmm. don't know. And then people are, like, meeting up. and uh, Like, they were only doing it in L.A. Like, I understand that. Yeah, and it's focusing on, like, one specific case. And it's just, like, one person trying to solve the mystery as opposed to, like, a group of people who are combining forces. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. I do wish there were more, like, fantastical creatures in this, though. Because you have the gremlins... I mean, you have, like, the Cthulhu at the end. Yeah, you've got, like... Yeah, they make mention of... The vampires and werewolves, which is, you know, regular monsters. (laughs) It's like not... you only see the one elder god, and yeah, you don't really see much creativity in some of the lesser monsters. Except for, I guess, you know, like that bird oatmeal creature thing. Whatever that was. Yeah, and I don't... They didn't really use the names that they use for the board game. You know, like Shogos or something like that. Yeah, they said they said uh, Yog. The Yogog. Uh, I didn't write it down. Honestly, it was like Yog Sothoth or something. Like okay, that. yeah, that, those, those are like, some of the monsters. They, they did the have a game. couple of legitimate names, but okay. you only get to see one of them near the end, and it didn't look anything like I was really expecting. It's kind of just like a slimy, melty turtle, with like you know, right, an internalized like secondary mouth. That pops out. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. So it was not not what I was expecting in terms of the monster side of things. Also, not really much was I expecting in terms of the magic too, because like you know I was excited to see this movie. You know I didn't know about it before, but when I was building the list and sort of like reading the description, it's like oh, this is a unique concept. I didn't know anything about the Lovecraftian connection from like the little blurb on IMDb when I was like mm-hmm. formulating all the information for the the list it just said oh you know 1940s la where magic is being used by everybody like oh that's cool um but not everyone used magic and it doesn't get used all that much i mean it does here and there like there's little tiny sequences but like i was expecting it to be a bit more centralized yeah i think i mean the main character phil he He's, like, anti-magic. Yeah, and they say he has his personal reasons, yeah. which has to do with, like, you know, his former partner and his former girlfriend, but I don't think we ever really understand why he's anti-magic specifically. Yeah, he's that's... just anti-corruption, and I guess he associates magic with corruption, but they don't really spell it out. Um... But there's people who are, you know, occasionally using magic around him, like, you know, in the beginning, like, someone just creates flame in their hand to light up their cigarette. Um, you know. Yeah, when they go to the police office, or the, yeah, when they're just going to that area, you know, there's people opening drawers and stuff 
just by waving their hands exactly and like retrieving a file just by you know sitting from their seat they just kind of reach their hand and the file comes out of the drawer and Mm -hmm. flies into their hand you see like while he's walking down the hallways of things you see people doing stuff like that just you know like normal everyday things they use magic for yeah just like little conveniences that they toss into the background here and there for the most part but like so it seems like everyone's using magic just for it's not like i don't want to say magic for doing something bad it's just i don't know like harry potter i don't know i'm trying to think like you know they're trying to just do normal everyday life using magic that's how everyone is in this in la in this for the most part i mean but there's obviously people who use it for i know people do it for negative but there's he when he's like walking around and in the background you see the regular people just doing random magic like you know flushing the toilet without using their hands i don't know like stuff like that yeah yeah but i mean like I think what hurts this movie a bit is that the rules aren't really established as to, like, what kind of magic is possible or, like, when or whatever. It's like, Like, did everyone everyone all of a sudden have the ability to use magic? Yeah, like, how do you police that? Because obviously there's a police department in this movie that's involved. Yeah, that deals with the fantasy side of things yeah it's like i mean could people just make evidence disappear like like there's no concept of what the rules are and it has i don't know like in that diner scene with the oatmeal bird thing you know like he's uh lovecraft is being chased by like one of the well not chased but like he's being shadowed by a thug yeah you know, a heavy, tugwell i think tugwell and, and he's like writing down these runes on a piece of paper and he gives it to the owner to give to whoever and so evidently whoever has the runes or is near the runes will have something bad happen to them and so that's like why he's chasing him down and he's like you know and but like it's so hard to build that world when we don't know the rules of the world but he has to yeah like, quickly explain it during like the chase scene and he like grabs a hold of the the chef or the owner or whatever and he's like whatever happens to me is gonna happen to you if if you're this close to me so tell me what i need to know like okay evidently yeah we we don't know the rules (laughs) we haven't seen runes we haven't seen this paper before there's no establishing concept of what's going on and then here comes oatmeal bird skeleton and it's a cool scene but like it just sort of it epitomizes the the concept of we don't know what's going on or who can do what. So it's tough for us to know what kind of level of danger anyone's in at any given time uh, and so on and so forth. But Tugwell seems to be using all of the, the negative magic. Yeah. So Tugwell uh, works yeah. for... Um, so I don't know if there... Yeah, are there rules like no dark magic allowed? Yeah, and then like how do you, how do you learn that how do you learn who it's like yeah that's it? what i'm thinking like is this like harry potter do you go to like a school to learn these things yeah, or is it like it. everyone has or just all of a sudden everyone has the ability to do some sort of magic they they must be learning it at some point i don't know early in the movie they're like hey it's you know the 1940s or what 1948 everyone's using magic get with the times this is the future like they right. say that type of dialogue so it makes it sound like it's something that's kind of been bubbling up for a while and now i don't know maybe it's more explained in something like if it is taken directly from a lovecraft novel it's probably explained a lot better in that um 
than it is here. Or it's like certain people have the ability to do certain things. Yeah, but, you know, we have no idea. Okay. So, um, yeah, Tugwell is the one who's using most of it nefariously. He's working for a man named Harry Borden, played by Clancy Brown, um, who we learn later is uh, Lovecraft's former police partner. Yeah. Uh, Tugwell is basically... uh, Borden was trying to get that book, The Necronomicon. Uh, He got a fake one uh, from this, you know, whatever person was delivering it to him. This guy, Freddie, was it? Mickey. Mickey. Yeah. Um, and then Tugwell chases after him uh, and confronts him in a bathroom. And uh, Mickey's like, I'll share the money with you. I'm sh- I'll share the money with you. Yeah. And, and he pulls out the money and it was all fake. He was ne- There was never any actual deal. He was always going to get killed no matter if he delivered the real one or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, yeah, Tugwell makes all of the paper spin around and, like, death by a thousand paper cuts, basically. I th- yeah, I thought that death was kind of cool. Yeah, it was, and it was very early on. So that like, was, like, one of the, the first scene. magic you see, first use of magic yep. that you really see, and you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah, and, and in general, the, the effects in this movie are, are good. Yeah. I think they're good at, at limiting the scope of the magic to meet what they could practically do. Like, you don't have a whole lot of, like, lightning bolts. You don't have, you know, fire shooting out of hands and, like, all kinds of crazy stuff that would look weird. Um, you know, you have, like, stuff like this where a whole bunch of paper is just swirling around them or something like that. Or a gargoyle coming to life where you can just, you know, transition to a guy in a suit. You know, stuff like that. So I think they did a really good job with all of that and, you know, keeping it with, like, puppets and stuff. Uh, but they also have a zombie. Which I didn't realize was a zombie at first. Did you? Did you make that connection? That, yeah, that... The big tall thug next to yeah, that her. Yeah, I didn't know that he was a zombie until maybe halfway through. Yeah, because then they were saying like, oh, what happens to your zombie friend here? And he's like, oh, he's going to stink eventually and we'll just replace him with a new one that we import from the West Indies. I just... Yeah. And like, oh, okay, so there's zombies. I just thought I he gotcha. was their bodyguard and that's just how we looked. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean he has like he has like he's white got like eyes, yeah, white, white people's but basically. I was like I mean I know that this is like a fantasy world. I didn't know he was a zombie. I was just like, oh that's just I don't even know. I, like yeah, a bodyguard some, with him. Yeah, some sort of demonic aspect to yeah. him. But beyond that I didn't know. Um but the zombies were kind of funny too. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Like when they're uh, they showed like a bunch of zombie construction workers at that you know subdivision that they're building. Uh huh. It's just kind of funny to watch them just mindlessly build or just saw without really paying attention or looking at anything. Just and I'm like how are how, <laughs> just, how do, I don't know. I was just like how are zombies doing this? Yeah, I mean it was vaguely. <laughs> I know it's fun. Yeah, time, yes, but... because they do have dark skin yeah they're, they're all they're all people of color they're all black uh and you know they're forced to build houses i was like yeah i don't know is this some, so, like i don't know is that a metaphor for something yeah it could be a purposeful connection 
Um, but it was still just the actions that they were taking were funny and how they were building things and just like falling over themselves was right. Yeah. Just kind of lazily doing anything. Yeah. Like how a zombie would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, why would you hire them? Like, because or, or they're like, yeah, where, just you know. make these people. And then, yeah. How do they, how do they get these zombies? They, I don't know. This they said, like yeah, you can just buy them and bring them across. Yep. Metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so where are we with the plot? <laughs> we kind of jumped know, all over going, the place. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so yeah, there's two bad guys, really. The one is the more obvious one, Harry Borden, uh, Cl- Clancy Brown. Um, he also has... A, he owns a nightclub, uh, and Connie Stone is the singer in the nightclub, and also his girlfriend, played by Julianne Moore, uh, who we learn had also a history with... Lovecraft, I guess they were previously romantic partners, and, and they all split, mm-hmm. whatever, at some point. Um, and so she becomes involved in the whole story and, and helps to feed uh, Lovecraft information here and there. Um, that's really what her contribution is, for the most part, until near the end, where you you know have all the twists and turns of the plot, which I don't know if we want to reveal or not it's up to you um and then we also have amos hackshaw who is the uh, i don't know what he's supposed to be he's very rich he has like a mansion um he has like 30 different aquariums in his room um, yeah. <laughs> where they have this uh this initial meeting he owns the gargoyle that comes to life and starts shadowing lovecraft yeah um and he also has a 16-year-old daughter named Olivia, uh, who we first see before we even meet Amos. Um, she's out hunting unicorns on well, horseback. Uh, so, Amos Hackshaw, he hires Lovecraft yes. to find Hackshaw's former chauffeur, who is Larry Willis, who stole... The, the Necronomicon. Necronomicon, yeah. And it was more about getting the book back. He needs that book. Yes. Within two days, by midnight, because there's a you know very important ceremony that has to happen at that. Yeah, time. he's got like two days to get this. Uh huh. Yeah. So find Larry Willis to find my book. Basically, is the the goal. And no one's heard of Larry Willis. Yeah. Or pretends that they haven't heard of him. Um. And so, yeah, we meet Olivia as well. Um, and she's, like, super flirty right away. Yeah, she's... And they said, what, she's, like, 15, 16? 16 years old. Okay. And I think part of it, uh, you know, it's one of those types of situations where it's, like, a you don't know if you're supposed to trust the woman or not. Okay. I mean, that's, that's sort of, like, you know, like... That is something of a recurring theme in noir movies where you have this, like, mysterious oh. damsel type of dame who may or may not be in distress, and can you really trust her? She okay. gives off that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and since she's also the daughter of the person who's hiring uh, Lovecraft, it's also tough to know. Her flirtiness makes it sound like she maybe knows more than what she does, or that she may be involved in it somehow, initially. That's that's the vibe I was getting early on. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's also supposed to be like a, a funny sequence where he's throwing all kinds of like dry quips back at her while she's trying to flirt with him. And, yeah, yeah. And it just didn't land because the whole time I'm thinking like, this is like a, I don't know how old Fred Ward was at this time. But I don't, I don't he looks mean... like mid forties to right, me. Right? Yeah. But I mean... I mean, he was a former boxer, so he always perpetually looks older than he probably was. Um, against like the sixteen-year-old person. Obviously, the, the actress was, I think, was like 23 or 24 at the time mm-hmm. that she played this role. But still, like, 16-year-old versus, like, 40s. It was just kind of like, I can't really pay attention to the dialogue. This is just awkward. Um, and then, uh, yeah, he leaves, and it's, like, raining blood, which is also a nice little cool effect, I guess. Yeah. Very, very simple, because it's just, you know, splattering red water onto a, <laughs> a window pane, but it's still, like... Mm-hmm unexpected to see that happen so it's kind of cool um and so yeah then he just gets into his pi work and i would say like in terms of the mystery solving the pi side of things this was definitely better than vi warshawski in that regard if we want to compare it to the other private investigator movie that we've seen so far okay um i think like the mystery solving she, was like, better he... here <laughs> Well, yeah, because he was doing his own work and yeah. actually trying to figure stuff out. Yeah, and there was, like, clues that he was following and, like, yeah. interviewing people where it seemed like just stuff happened with Kathleen Turner's character. Um, just kind of weird that we've seen two P.I. movies already, too. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he gets involved in all those different characters that we talked about before. Uh, has to escape the diner with the the oatmeal monster i keep coming back to that um and eventually uh, solves the mystery of who larry willis is um by learning that he's attached to this guy mickey yes um who's involved with someone named lily sirwar um and lily works at the same club as harry borden and connie stone so he's able to track Lily down, and that's when the big, re- the first big reveal of the movie, which, depending on your perspective, is not so much a reveal, but uh, uh, <laughs> that Lily Sirwar is Larry Willis. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think that was probably too much of a surprise to either of us, because you see Lily early on in the movie. Yeah, we don't She's know. She's there at the train who, station. Yeah, we don't know. She doesn't talk. Who she is yet? We just see her waiting for someone yeah well it's pretty obvious that she's waiting for mickey uh mickey leaves her clue is as it's not safe here run right? yes uh, and that's basically all we get I mean, she looks like she's just on the run yeah and uh Tugwell and his zombie i guess find him yeah find her. mickey but don't don't notice lily or know that she's involved or whatever. Yeah, One they of the don't two know. Both. They don't know that Lily is Larry. They just saw Mickey, and that's when Mickey gets killed in the bathroom mm-hmm. by paper cuts. Yeah. Uh, but now it's Larry Lily's turn. Um, it's an interesting scene. <laughs> I don't know. It's also probably another one of the gruesome scenes because, like died by like the punch through the chest mm. so you have like yeah the the grotesque death scene yeah involved in that um 
there is an, an F slur thrown in there as well as part of the conversation, just casually, as was the 90s. Um, and then, I don't know, then like the whole mystery sort of like starts to conclude after that, really, because Lily slash Larry had the real Necronomicon mm-hmm. with him, her. Uh, and then that's when, I don't know, the rest of the stuff happens. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when, yeah, Amos gets a hold of it. Uh, yeah, shortly after, like, he delivers it to Amos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all the while, we haven't talked about this yet, because I don't know how much it really impacted the story as it's supposed to. Lovecraft has a landlord for his business office. Yes. Named, uh, Kropotkin? Hippolyt? Hippolyti? Hippolyti? I don't know how to pronounce the first name. Hippolyte? Kropotkin, uh, played by Arnetia Walker, or Arnetia Walker, I don't know how to pronounce any names. Um, she's like a voodoo witch. Uh, we see her at the very beginning, um, doing something rather on the roof of a building. Um, she's a voodoo witch slash dance instructor. Yes. And so, like, one of the recurring jokes is that he gives, uh, that Lovecraft keeps on accidentally giving the the dance instructing business cards to people instead of his own PI business cards because she's like, hand these out, you're, you're behind on your rent, promote my stuff. Um, anyway, she gives him, she knows what's going on, she knows the importance of the Necronomicon and what it means and, and what's going to happen at that ceremony. And so uh, she slaps like a white magic bracelet on Lovecraft, which is supposed to ward against some sort of evil. We never see it like activate quote-unquote yeah like, we, we don't, don't see it like see glow him or we don't use know. it or that thing in use yeah i don't know i mean it must have protected him in some way but we don't know exactly how they don't show it yeah or but, say that I mean, she is the first person that we see when we watch this movie too because mm-hmm. you see her doing like a chant yeah or some sort for of her spell. dead husband nikolai that's up on the roof there mm-hmm and then she also bails him out when he's taken to the police after the oatmeal bird murder thing happens. <laughs> uh, because they're, the police chief there is trying to get him to you know help him out. and I don't know. And that's when we start to learn about his past and like how he used to be partners with Borden and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but yeah, so he has the Necronomicon, he has the white magic thing, uh, despite his protests, it's there and locked by magic, so he can't get it off, um, and then he, yeah, he hands over the, the book over to Amos, and then they do the ceremony, because that all, ha- like, they meet at the location where the ceremony is supposed to happen, which is that subdivision, trailer park, whatever thing mm-hmm. you want to call it, with the big old gazebo there, and so he hands over the book. But Borden is also there, and all that kind of good stuff, and so... There's all kinds of twists and turns and slimy, melty turtle creatures that pop out of the gazebo. <laughs> and, like, ground opening up and Yog Sothoth mm-hmm. coming out of the the, uh, the whatever. Um, They're the final ancient one. Yeah, the they elder. They have to, yeah. They have elder to, god. They have to sacrifice <laughs> yeah, the virgin to... to her, to him. Right. To it. Uh, and then things go wrong. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, so Amos, well, yeah, so Am- we just find out that Amos is, you know, using this dark magic and he's going to use his daughter, who is a virgin, as the sacrifice. And they know she's a virgin because only virgins can hunt unicorns, and that's what she was doing. We don't see a successful hunt, but she was chasing she's after She's just, it. like, they just show her with blood on her shirt. Yes. Or on her face or something she was like i just came back from a hunt and i was like why are you hunting unicorns like they're the most amazing creatures (laughs) i don't know maybe they're very prevalent in this world what are they not super rare what are they like unicorns are like demons or something like what who knows yeah maybe they're scourges i don't know i was like why are you killing a unicorn (laughs) Just another little bit of fantasy into the the story. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought the ending was interesting in that, you know, it did take a couple turns, even though they were mostly predictable. Yeah, I don't know. know. I don't know if you thought they were or not, but I mean... Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the whole sacrifice goes wrong. Amos gets... like sucked into the ancient one's second mouth or whatever yeah which goes into his first mouth (laughs) then chomp i did find it weird that like lovecraft was trying to stop amos from being eaten but when olivia was up for grabs he did nothing he didn't like run after her or anything like that either that yeah that was a little weird i don't know i don't know why he wanted to save amos like because amos is his client like i don't really know or if it's just because he's another human being maybe i don't but know but why like, not but, olivia I don't yeah know. But, but why not olivia is the big question i I don't understand so it is what it is and basically what it means is you know bad guys lose good guys win yep and but that was I, that was, was kind of yeah that was like stone. a very anticlimactic <laughs> ending because i thought there was gonna be like a hardcore fight with this ancient one. Oh, okay like yeah. something was gonna happen that's why he has the uh the fucking bracelet sure yeah like it that was like his um charm to keep him you know like a shield or whatever and maybe he could learn that magic is good yeah if what if he all of a sudden context. started using magic just to kill this thing but all that thing did was suck up Amos into his mouth and then like went away. Mm. Yeah, it just sort of sunk back into the ground and that was it. I was like, that was it. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know if he. <laughs> then I was just like, he was like, oh, this isn't a virgin. Goodbye. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or he like he, he was, but wouldn't that make him even more mad? Evidently not. Well, maybe it was enough the, to make him mad at the person who summoned him, and that's why he ate him. Ate Amos. I just, it was just a very weird ending. Like yeah. it was the buildup was like to nothing. Yeah, makes sense. I don't know. I thought it was maybe gonna hide, you know set up like a sequel or something too, because it seems like I mean, there's there a is... world that is sort of being built here. Yeah, just it could go farther if it wanted to and there was a sequel to this movie yeah uh, in 1994 called witch hunt 
so nothing, <laughs> no way of knowing it's a sequel, except for, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe the promotional material said it so, said so, but it started yeah, uh, Dennis know. Hopper and then what, Penelope Ann Miller? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dennis Hopper plays the same character, right? Phil, uh, Phil yes, Lovecraft? Yes, but it's like uh, in the 50s now, so, so I don't it's know. it's 10 years later. Yeah, so it's just him or older. at least five. Yeah. So... But, Didn't, I mean, that much older? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. It, it, there was a lot of good parts to it. I think this movie falls under the same sort of trappings that a lot of, like, mixed genres and period pieces fall under, where, like, it's a cool concept of, you know, having, like, magic and monsters in this historical time period where we know it didn't exist, unless it's a huge, massive conspiracy or cover-up or whatever. But, like... It's just not executed well, possibly because we know it didn't happen that way. You know, like, think of, like, things like cowboys and aliens. Like, we know there weren't big shootouts between cowboys and aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pride and Prejudice and zombies. We know that zombies didn't exist in that era of time. Mm-hmm. So they're cool concepts that maybe have, like, their niche. But yeah, overall, the there's something that's, that the holds you back from fully immersing yourself. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, the the special effects were cool. The creatures were cool, even if they were kind of obvious. Um, the setting was good. Story was okay. The, it wasn't funny though. It wasn't as funny as they wanted it to be. Yeah, I don't know when they were trying to. I mean, I was laughing at parts, but it was at parts that were not meant to be funny. Like when we didn't even talk about like anything about like Julianne Moore, like her singing. Oh yeah. And I was mostly laughing at, she sang two songs, and I was laughing at the lyrics to these songs. Mm. (laughs) Well, one of those songs won this movie an Emmy. That's just so weird, because, I mean, the score was fine. Yeah. But the two songs where she sang, I was like, I don't know. This is so cheesy. I don't. It's you know. It's like typical jazzy. Yeah, it you was like satisfy a, me type stuff. It was it was trying to mimic like the standards of the forties, like the club hits. But right. It's a brand new composition, and so yeah, it's kind of like kind of cheesy and hokey. Um, I kind of wish there was more score. I feel like there's a lot of places where it's just dead silence and dialogue, mm-hmm. and it kind of. Uh, made me a little bit tired honestly just watching it with like no background sounds or no ambient yeah music i, or anything I like that. did see that the score for the second movie for the sequel is scored by angelo Badalamenti, and i'm curious hmm. well this one was done by kurt sobel um he had done he's he's done some stuff he's he's done a lot more sound editing rather than composing work we'll also hear his work on the 1991 movie defenseless um uh and and yeah so he they got he has a nomination an emmy nomination for the sound editing in this movie um at the primetime emmy awards and then he also won for writing and helping to write uh the music and the lyrics so to those two songs uh for why do i lie that that song specifically won the emmy for best original Best Outstanding Individual Achievement in Music and Lyrics is the actual category. So basically, Best Original 
song for the okay. others. I just, I mean, I want to know the other songs that were Yeah, I didn't look, nominated. actually. Yeah, I don't know. He, he definitely was not nominated for the other one that was performed in this movie. Do they usually do best songs for TV shows? They might not anymore. Uh, uh, you know, I know, categories do evolve over years, and this wasn't really called best song. Again, it was oh, okay. outstanding individual achievement in music and lyrics. So it could have even been like a special category. We could look it up and put it on the website. But um, yeah. I mean, out of the two songs that we heard her sing, "Why Do I Why Do I Lie" was a better one. Like oh a yeah, because the first one was like "You Satisfy Me" and you have to. I don't know. I forgot the lyrics. It was just really cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Why do I Why do I lie? Is more somber and it's like, oh, why do I do this to myself? Type of a right. Thing. Yeah, but yeah, the the score in the movie is very good. It's it's what you sort of expect to hear in a, in a. 40s noir type of a setting um but it, it does the job so we can talk about the cast and crew we've mentioned some of them by name but not <clears throat> gone over their history uh martin campbell oh but i should say the the awards that i just talked about those are the only awards that i found associated with this movie okay. what are those two emmy situations uh martin campbell the director he has a bafta win on the tv side for a miniseries called edge of darkness uh, not the movie version starring uh, Mel Gibson, although Martin Campbell, I think, also was involved with that. Uh, Martin Campbell also directed 1991's Defenseless, which has Kurt Sobel's music, so they collaborated. Uh, he's probably best known. He, he also did uh, The Mask of Zorro. He also did GoldenEye and Casino Royale, so he's basically been at the helm of like the rebooting of the Bond series two different times. You know, the, the first Pierce Brosnan and then also the first Daniel Craig Bond were both his. So, really interesting that he has that kind of pedigree behind him. Uh, Joseph Doherty, the writer, he is an Emmy winner for 30-something. And he has two more nominations for that show. And he also wrote the 1991 movie Steel and Lace. And he also wrote the sequel, Witch Hunt. And he's also done TV shows like Judging Amy and most recently Pretty Little Liars is his as well. Which I've never seen, but I know it has like a pretty big following. following people. Uh, this seems like it'd be much different than Pretty Little Liars. Uh, Fred Ward plays Lovecraft. He's in the 1991 movie The Dark Wind. Um, I know him most for the Tremors movies. <laughs> I don't know about you. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Henry and June, he's in The Right Stuff, Remo Williams, uh, Escape from Alcatraz, Naked Gun 33 and a Third. Uh, he's also the dad in Road Trip. He plays DJ Qualls' dad in Road Trip. Mm -hmm. So he's been in a whole bunch of stuff. He's also in Shortcuts along with Julianne Moore, who plays Connie Stone. Um, Julianne Moore, oh man, there's way too many awards and nominations to talk about with her. Oscar winner for Still Alice, nominated for Far From Heaven and The Hours in the same year. Uh, End of the Affair and Boogie Nights. Uh, he's a, she's an Emmy winner for Game Change as Sarah Palin. Um, she also is an MTV Movie Award nominee for Best Kiss. Can you guess the movie? It's a weird one. Uh, is it like Big Lebowski or something? No, it's Hannibal. 
She shares Best Kiss nomination award for Hannibal with, with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I, I <laughs> did not like that movie. I didn't like that movie a whole lot either. That's a weird... Yeah. That's another like weird, creepy Best Kiss thing that they just kind of threw in there for laughs. Um, and she also has a Razzie nomination. This well-accomplished, like probably one of the oh, top five, of, yeah. <laughs> top five actresses of, of this generation. There's a lot of great actresses that also have gotten Razzies. Yeah, hers is for the movie Seventh Son, which I don't really even remember at all. Um, she was also in another TV movie in 1991 called The Last to Go. It's not on our list because we can't find a watchable version of it, but, you know, she's been in everything. Um, and always does a good job, except for, I guess, in Seventh Son. Um, we didn't talk about David Warner, Amos Hackshaw. Uh, he has been around forever as well. He has an Emmy win for Masada. Uh, he was also nominated for Holocaust. Those are both, I believe, TV miniseries. So I could be wrong about that. He also has a BAFTA nomination from 1966, so again, he's been around for a long time. Um, he was in Twin Peaks in 1991. He, he does so much stuff. He does, like honestly, like four or five different projects a year. In 1991 alone, mm -hmm. David Warner, Amos Hackshaw, was in Twin Peaks, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Blue Tornado, Drive, and Star Trek VI. So we're going to be seeing him a lot. Uh, but you may know him from The Omen, or Tron, Time Bandits, Titanic. He also does a lot of uh, voice acting work in the Batman animated series, uh, as well as Freakazoid and other stuff like that. Um, and the weird little piece of trivia I found out about him is that he was originally going to be Freddy Krueger. And then he dropped out sort of like later in the process, and I went to... That's uh, interesting. Went to... Um, what's his face? What's his burned face? <laughs> Clancy Brown... <laughs> uh, I, I recognize him more from Highlander than anything else. Oh, uh, okay. So he, he was uh, one of the, you know, the one fighting to beat the immortal back then. Um, he's also in the 1991 movies Ambition and Past Midnight. You may know him from Shawshank Redemption or Starship Troopers. You'll also have heard his voice as one of the gargoyles in the Gargoyles Disney cartoon show. Uh, he does... Uh, Neo Cortex in the Crash Bandicoot games. He is Lex Luthor in a lot of the DC animated stuff. And he's also Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants. So he's busy on the voice side, too. Yeah, he always play To me, he always plays like a bad guy. Yes, he almost always plays a bad guy. Arnisha Walker. I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yeah, Ar I think it's Arnisha. That's probably right. Uh, who played uh, Miss I think it's Kropotkin. Hip Hippolyte? We'll go with that. I, I trust you a lot more than I trust myself. When I, I'm, I was just looking it up. I think it's named after like a Greek god or goddess, and it's okay. like Ippolyte. That makes sense. They don't really say her first name like ever. Yeah, they just call her by her last name. Yeah. But they say it really fast, and I was like, how do you say it? Because they go Kropotkin. Yeah, Kropotkin. Like really, really fast. Um... Yeah, she's, she's an interesting character. She actually has, like, more lines and, like, a heavier part than what we kind of alluded to in the plot summary here. Um, she's also in a 1991 movie called The Whereabouts of Jenny. She was in Nurses for 68 episodes, that soap opera. Um, also in a thing called Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. Uh, her big claim to fame is that in the late 80s, um, in Broadway, I believe, Broadway, uh, she has played all three different dream girls at various different times on stage. She's like the only person apparently who has done that. So she got her start in, in the stage and, and singing and then moved on to acting. Uh, we've also seen Tugwell before already in this in this podcast. 
I'm not sure if you recognized him or not, uh, but Raymond O'Connor, who played Tugwell, was uh, one of the goons in Life Stinks. Okay. <laughs> who had like one or two yeah, lines. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I remember he's movie. the little guy. Yeah, this littler guy in Life Stinks that that terrorizes uh, Mel Brooks's character. Um, he's also in the 1991 movies Pirates as well as Tag Team. Um, he was also in the L.A. Noir game. So we have our second person in L.A. Noir. Yeah, at least. There may be more that I just haven't mentioned or listed, but yeah. Um, and then I think the other big person, I mean, some of these other people may or may not be worth mentioning, I don't know. Um, but we're going to go with uh, Becky Mullen, who was in a very small scene at the start. So in the opening scene, like, the detective um, Grimaldi is, like, escorting this woman to the cop car. I don't okay. remember exactly oh, why. Oh, yeah, she, and then she punches him? Yes. And then that was it. That was it. The only reason I wanted to mention her at all is that that's Becky Mullen. Um, and she uh, was one of the original glow wrestlers in the oh, 80s. Oh, okay. That's cool. She played Sally, the farmer's daughter. It's like, oh. I mean, she died in July 2020, unfortunately. Um, but she transitioned from being a gorgeous lady of wrestling as Sally, the farmer's daughter, and then worked on stuff like this. And then she was in like some, you know, Skinamax, USA Up All Night type stuff, like mm-hmm. Hard Hunted and Bikini Car Wash, Car Wash Company 2. So, like, I want to mention the zombie who has no lines in this movie at all, like the big thug zombie, uh, Jamie Cardrish. Uh, he was most notably in Malcolm and Eddie. Uh, he was also in the movie Freaked. Have you seen Freaked? No. It's, um, it was a, a weird movie from, like, 1994-ish or so. Um, uh, it's Alex Winter's like pet yeah. project that he did like after Bill and Ted, and it's like, you know, just like a bunch of like weird like goofy creatures and stuff. So he's he's in that one. Um, he's also in Deep Cover and also House Party One. Uh, he was also a wrestler, so I want to mention that he got the wrestling connection. Uh, he was a pro wrestler in the Pacific Wrestling Alliance, known as the Harlem Warlord. So we got two wrestlers in this whole thing. I'm not much of a wrestling fan, but it's just interesting that those things are there. Um, and then, yeah, we'll talk about Larry Willis slash Lily Sirwar, which is Lee Turgeson. Uh, did you recognize Lee Turgeson when you first saw? Not when he was Lily, but when he was Larry, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it took me, like, I, the face looked familiar. Honestly, it looked a little bit like Patricia Arquette in that first scene to me. When he was dressed as a woman? When he was dressed as Lily. Oh. And then, like, yeah, the second time we started to see Lily, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's who that is. Um, this is, like, near the beginning of his career. We know him probably best as uh, Tobias Beecher from Oz, um, who goes through, like, a cross-dressing not, arc as well. It, yes. In that, in that show. I mean, yeah, he goes through a lot. Oh shit. Yes, he goes through a lot of shit. In <laughs> like, literally, show. literally too. Yes. Um, but if anyone's seen Oz, you will know. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's like it's just interesting because there's a lot of people that are in the show Oz that we've talked about. Yeah. Now, and it's just interesting. It's also the, the HBO connection is interesting here too because like I mean yeah. in those days of like the Oz and the Wire like there's a lot of cross pollination between the casts like it, it seems like they have like a stable of actors almost that they just rehire over and over and over again and like I don't know 
maybe HBO like, like knew of him from Cast a Deadly Spell and other right, stuff. And like, uh, okay, it, well, let's put it's him like, in Oz. It didn't start until 1997, so it's just, oh, it's just so interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Oz is what we know him best for. A lot of people will probably know him best from Wayne's World. He plays. Yeah. Um, he's like one of the. He friends. plays Terry. Yeah, he's he he plays the I love you man. Yeah. Type of guy, uh, in, in that, and he's one of the guys who's headbanging to. Uh, in the backseat to Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yes. Um, but before this, I knew him most as Chet in the Weird Science TV show. I never watched that. Cause I, I watched it some. Didn't it's really not care. terrible. I watched the TV show but had not seen the movie until like years later. <laughs> oh, see, I was obsessed with the movie. So I was like, this has no one I care about in the movie. So I don't <laughs> care. Uh, he's good as Chet. He's, okay. he's a really good Chet. Um, I don't know if that's available streaming anywhere, but it's it's. I think it's worth watching. Like he's Maybe. better than like Bill Paxton, Chet. Um, it's tough to say because I mean, Bill Paxton only gets like an hour and a half at most to be Chet, whereas this guy had like multiple seasons whole, and could yeah. do more stuff. So they're different, but you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll see Lur- we'll see Lee again in the other 1991 movies, Killing Mind, Point Break, and Acting Sheriff. This is when he's really starting to get his start in the acting world, and he has four movies this year. The true crime of pop culture, I guess. So I don't really have a lot of information because this movie was released two days before Solo Con Tu Pareja, so a lot of the tv and music is a lot of the same mm-hmm. but i mean this was a saturday night and you know i tried to look up saturday night live and saturday night live wasn't was still on you know it's summer break i guess and didn't come yeah. back until the end of september and we do I, not have the tv guide for this week either. yeah we, we didn't looking i mean i did look there are i was looking up stuff about hp lovecraft there the the author and there's a lot of stuff about him that's controversial mm, okay but when i didn't was, really want to get into active? it huh do you know about like when he was active like what year ranges in like the early 1900s he died in 1937 okay so i mean it, there i i read i just i just went online and i found a whole bunch of stuff about him i was like this is this is like an, a separate episode. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know if I want to get into it. But there is like controversial stuff like about his political beliefs. And he was also like a racist. Okay. So maybe that explains the zombies. But I don't know. Uh, I mean, if it's in the books, I guess, then maybe partly. But... Yeah, I never... Like, I, I think... I mean, I think a lot of people pre-1960s were more yeah. openly racist than oh, yeah. they are now so but yeah i never i tried to read his books and it's like very i don't know how to explain it was it like dense yeah i guess i guess that's the term because it's kind of like reading a textbook i don't know oh but yeah. i just want to i want to read a story mm-hmm. and just have like these magical things like sprinkled in yeah i want to read about like some actual zombie. I don't know. Like, give me some monsters and stuff immediately. I don't know. I don't. I. I just couldn't get into 
I only tried one book, and I know he has a ton. I was just like, okay, I give up. <laughs> but I, I do like you. I do like Elder Tor. The board game. The board <laughs> yes. game. Yeah, those those are fun. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of Lovecraft stuff has popped up in the last ten years or so. Overall, yeah. this is kind of surprising to see it show its face. Yeah, from this thirty early years ago. Yeah. Um. I, I'd be surprised if we have any sort of other Lovecraftian inspired thing. Oh um, yeah, you know, in in this in ninety one, yeah, yeah, probably. But I did look up some stuff that was on TV Saturday night, and there is we haven't talked about a busted pilot in a while, but yeah. I found a busted pilot. Okay. <laughs> what was on ABC first was. A show called World of Discovery, which is just a nature show. Yeah. That sounds familiar. I mean, this is Saturday night. It's like either you're watching a movie, probably this movie on HBO, Mm. or like, you know, Cops or whatever. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, there's no primetime TV shows happening. Yeah, they expect people to be out doing stuff on Saturdays. Yeah. Back yeah, more the, so back in, back in those. Not really now, because you can. Yeah, now they try to tie you to the screen as much as possible. Back then, they're like, "Oh, well, people have lives, so we'll just kind of yeah, throw let's junk just on play TV a bunch of junk. Let that... them do whatever they're yeah. doing." Yeah. Then after that was the young writers, which we talked about before. That's mm-hmm. that um, western. Yeah. With um, Stephen Baldwin and and uh, Josh Brolin is in it. And on CBS, so they did have a movie on, and it was Police Academy 5. Oh. <laughs> so if you were not watching Cast a Deadly Spell, you're probably watching Police <laughs> Academy 5 on CBS. After I that... Wish we had, I, I just wish we had a Police Academy movie in this. I know, <laughs> there's movies. like so many. Yeah, there's so many, and we, like, we just we missed, we it. missed it. Yeah. I think six. I think number six was in ninety two or ninety three. Oh yeah, because five is in eighty eight. Yeah, we just missed the boat. Yeah, on Academy. I, mean, I used to watch those, those movies. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we watched all of them, all every single one of them. Uh, so okay, after that, this was at ten p.m. So after Police Academy five was over, there was a busted pilot called Mimi and Me. Hmm. Okay. Do you want to? guess anything about it is Mimi the name of someone famous no okay then I have no clue it's like maybe it's like Mimi Rogers or something no no (laughs) like I don't know so Mimi and me is it's a crime comedy so like this movie (laughs) it's no I don't Um, well no this is like a really weird concept but it didn't last past this episode, so it's uptight. It's about an uptight student orthodontist who meets a kooky and unpredictable free spirit by the name of Mimi and winds up pursued by a bunch of bad East German thugs. Okay, so it's like Dharma and Greg on the lamb. Yeah, like set in World War Two. Really? I don't know. That's why I'm like, he's, you know, I'm like, what the. Well, was it? It doesn't say, but I'm just guessing because East German thug. Yeah. But uh, I looked at, I mean, the person that 
the actress who plays Mimi, her name is Terry Farrell. She was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, so someone I know would probably know who she is. Okay. She was also in the show Becker. I was trying to find, I was like, I've never seen her. My parents watched Becker. I did not back in the day. The orthodontist was played by the actor Howard McGillan. I don't know him don't know either, you. but he did a lot of random voice acting. Like he most recently that I saw, like he played, he did the singing voice for someone in South Park. Huh. It's always fascinating to me, like that people who have like the the on screen and the voice acting careers. Like, he did a lot know, of voice for like he did. Well, he. He's not really credited as a person. He's just known as, like, part of the chorus or additional voices. Yeah, yeah. So for the, even for the movie Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback of Notre Dame. So he's just just done voice work. Just there for, like, filler. Singing. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what this was on. (laughs) That's what this was about. So it was just, like, the one episode that aired. Yeah, it was a busted pilot. It's just, you know, we sort of talked about it before. Where cool they, they, they just like show it things. and they're like, okay, it didn't do well. Yeah. Even though it was on Saturday night at 10 p.m., so no one's watching this. Right, but they probably already passed on this series. We're like, eh, well, we already, we'll just we already play paid this... for the pilot. We'll just play yeah, it. Yeah, it's either like dead like air it, or this cool. show. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, on Fox was Cops. <laughs> Two episodes of Cops and then Totally Hidden Video. And then a show called Best of the Worst. Have you heard of this? No, but it sounds like it'd be another, like, America's Funniest Home Videos type of a clone. Sort of. I mean, this was hosted by Greg Kinnear, too. And then I was like, when was Talk Soup? Because wasn't he the first Talk Soup host? I think he was. So he was doing, like, Talk Soup and this. But this is a competition. Talk Soup might have been after. I I think Talk Soup started... I think I looked this up, and Talk Soup started in 91. I didn't have E back when Talk Soup was starting, so... Yeah, I didn't really start watching Talk Soup until it was um, Jim Henson, but then it quickly became... Not Jim Henson. John Henson. John Henson. Yeah, yeah. The guy who went on to do Wipeout later on. Yes, John Henson, and yeah. then it, then Hell Sparks. Like I, I remember, absolutely watching it around that time. Yeah, I don't think I probably even had the channel until like the Hell Sparks era, because we got channels late in our hometown. Our cable system was very behind the times. Okay, so this is ho- this is a show. That's a competition for the worst jobs in America. Okay. And hosted by Greg Kinnear. But then there's a Japanese correspondent on this. So I, I have no further information. It was... <laughs> okay. It was... And then there's like a trivia that said that this show was canceled due to a prank pulled by Rooster Teeth's Bernie Burns. And I was like, what? I've heard of Rooster Teeth, which came out... Like in the mid two thousands. Yeah, that's that's I all know, I. I s- don't know who Bernie is because I don't I don't know anyone in Rooster Teeth. I just know of that. Group. Right. So. So it was canceled due to that. Some some prank, huh? So it's yeah, like it was so it's sort of like a, a punk type of a deal, maybe. 
Yeah, the show, okay, I'm going to read a review. Okay. <laughs> They'll say this show starred Greg Kinnear, who was interesting in that it was an early reality-based show that highlighted bizarre contests. For example, they showed Japanese game shows like Endurance that were strange at the time is an early influence of like Fear Factor. It was fun to see Greg, who's started he was as a producer of the show ended up as a host where he's able to showcase his sense of humor that served him well as an actor but yeah it's like they're it kind of sounds talk soupish like is he's just watching japanese game shows right and commenting on it yeah, we'll we'll have to look and see if maybe there's like a YouTube clip of it or something somewhere we can yeah. post it on. I mean, it kind of sounds like early, yeah, because it's best of the worst. So it's, he's probably getting really horrible TV shows and, you know, yeah. commenting on what's the best of the worst. It's interesting, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, if we can find... There's so much episode. random TV in 91 that we're discovering. That I know. This is, like, my favorite part about. is finding out, like, these shows I've never even heard of. And then I'm like, I want to watch these things. Yeah, I know. And then... Like, um, even that pilot, like, I'd watch an episode. Really? Just to see I don't know. I don't know. About like, that. it sounds stupid, but, like, I'm curious just to know what... Yeah, I would... I mean, I would watch yeah, some of these busted pilots just to be like, how horrible are these yeah. things? It might be funny to laugh at. After that, on NBC... It's The Golden Girls, Empty Nest, Dear John, and Sisters, which we talked yeah. about before. We'll move on to rankings and ratings. Uh, so on your one to five star scale, where would you put Cast a Deadly Spell? Um, I'm just going to give this a one. Wow, okay. It's not surprising. <laughs> I was uh, kind of like, I think I was just disappointed by how it ended. I was like, that's it? Okay. I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't, like, I don't really hate this movie. I don't, but I was just like, okay, that's it. I, I'm going to go higher. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so on my zero to four star scale, um, I'm going to give it, I'm oscillating between two and a half and a three, honestly. Uh, because, again, it's a good concept. There's a lot of good stuff that happens in there, I think. I'll go two and a half. I think the plot is maybe just like a little bit too basic. It's not as funny as it wants to be, but like the creatures are cool. The effects are generally cool. The production values are really high for a TV movie. Um, so all that together, good actors, good acting. Um, so I'm going to go two and a half. Okay. Uh, every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch it again? Kind of no. I don't... Yeah, I mean, I understand I would that. watch the sequel, because I'm curious to see what happens in that. Yes, I would definitely watch the sequel. I, would... I wouldn't watch this again, because I already know what happens, and I don't care to yeah, watch it again. Yeah, and again, like, a couple of, like, the, the twists um, were not fully expected, I guess. Like, some of, you know, like, the double-crossing stuff that happened in there. Like, I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, we already know what happens, and it's... I'd rather see some other, like, fantasy stuff of the era rather than mm -hmm. this again. Or, yeah, the sequel. Uh, but if you out there want to watch Cast Deadly Spell, as of this recording in September 2021, it's available on HBO Max, digital rental, or as a VHS. 
Uh, as always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of the major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It really does help us out a lot. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of 800-plus movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we'll be joined by our first guests on the podcast as we go into Horror Month and start. Uh, we're going to be watching The People Under the Stairs, mm-hmm. which is available as a digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We'll see you then.